Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Just pray a blessing over God's people, Jane, as we seek to come round his word. Yeah, Father, I just pray today that our hearts will be open, Lord. And Father, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive, Lord. Yeah, just bless us with the word that Simon's going to give us, Lord. Yeah, and bless us with your presence. Amen. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. If I hadn't married you, I would marry you. (laughs) It's the blessing of the Lord to have a good wife. Amen. Who's single here? Who's single here? Let's go down that road. Let's pray. Who needs a good wife? If you're a woman, don't put your hand up. That could be very complicated. (laughs) could be a complicated conversation. Have we got any single people in the room? A lot of single people in the room. Okay, if you're single by choice, I'm not praying for you, okay? (laughs) Point number two, if you're just an awkward beggar and you can't get on with anybody, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to ask God to change your heart. But if you're genuinely looking for someone and you're waiting for the Lord to bless you with someone, why don't you stand to your feet? i just going where the Spirit is leading me this morning. Is that okay? You're all pretending now, you're all sewn up. And <laughs> male and female, if you're, if you're waiting, anticipating. Now, here's the good thing about a moment like this. Look around you, these are your choices. Okay. <laughs> okay. These are the choices you have presently. Okay. <laughs> but you know God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Amen, amen. Well, you know, one of the specialities of of Jesus is finding us the right person to share our life with. And uh, they tell you in ministry you should never do hatches, matches, or dispatches, but I ignore all of the advice. And uh, Father, I just want to pray a blessing. There's some people standing here who have waited a long time to share their heart and their life with someone else, Lord. I want to honor that. I want to thank them publicly for living the way they've lived virtuously before you, God. I thank you that you are no man's debtor. And what we give to you, you give back to us, pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. Lord, and we don't want just the immediacy of someone coming into our life. We want the right person, Lord. We want the man or the woman who carries the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the truth of God. And Father, I pray that in these days ahead, we'll hear all kinds of stories of how you have found us. And we have been found, Lord, by the person that you had planned from the foundations of the earth would be our partner. Now, you probably, if you're married, won't say amen to that. Okay, but if you're not married, you'd say hallelujah and amen to that. And, and because we are rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, we're all going to say amen and hallelujah. Amen and hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to continue. In fact, today I want to complete a conversation I started with you a number of weeks ago about prayer. And we've come to what I would probably like to suggest is the most brilliant section of the New Testament on the whole subject of spiritual warfare. Um, can I do my own slides? Would that be okay? <laughs> okay, we, we've entitled this whole series War Room. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the practices of war. I hope not. But in times gone by, whenever there was a military problem, a national military problem, what would happen is all of the generals and all of the people who were uh, experts on warfare and strategy and and insightful in regard would gather together in one place and they would begin to think about all of the ways that they could actually exude the best amount of effort to bring freedom to those who were held captive through war. And um, that title comes from that kind of concept. And I believe that we are that room, to be honest with you. I believe we are all in the war room. And we have a measure of expertise because have you had a battle in your life? Have you overcome it through Jesus? Yes, so you have a measure of expertise. And we are better collectively than we are individually. 
You see, for the longest of times when people talk about the church, particularly people who come to church, they say things like this, well, the church is the family of God. And what we're saying is we really do need each other. In fact, Jesus said, they shall know that you're my disciples by the love you have and demonstrate one for another. So we know that being in community or being in family is profoundly a great blessing for our lives. And if you've ever been lonely or isolated or lived with rejection or abandonment in this world, the church is the best environment to be healed and restored. It's a coming home for people like me who lived outside of some things. But we're not just a family. The Bible says in many, many ways that we are the temple of God. And what that means is when we collectively gather where two or more are in his name together, he will presence himself. Now, that's why it's so important in worship for us not to be distracted because I wouldn't want to miss an appointment that was set up from the foundations of the earth for me to meet with Jesus because there happened to be some good-looking person sitting next to me and I was too busy trying to find their name and not call on the name of Jesus Christ. That was an amen moment. You missed it. You missed it. So he comes amongst us in his power. And when he comes amongst us, hearts are healed, lives are transformed, people are set free. And there's a catalog of things that God does when he manifests himself amongst his people. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you this morning, because you need to hear this, and those watching online, you need to hear this too. You are also the armies of the Lord. And you have fought Good fights, won great victories, overcome great adversities, and you are not normal in the sense that you can just shrink back to being passive. You have a fire in your bones for Jesus, and you have a fire for his kingdom, and you have a fire for his purposes, and you have a fire for his word. And I know sometimes it takes someone like me to get up and stoke that fire, because sometimes in our world where it's all very difficult sometimes to be Christian and walk with Jesus, when there's all kinds of allegations and accusations. Sometimes we shrink back, but this is what the Bible says about God's people. Arise, shine, for the light has come. In other words, you know what you need to know, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. This is the day for the church to rise up. Three of us said amen. amen. It's not going to be a lot of rising up with just three people, is there? This is the day for you to take your stand as you prepare your heart for all that's coming. And let me tell you what's coming. It's going to get bleak. It's going to get hard for Christians. Already in our nation, people are being arrested on our streets for preaching the love of God. You think that's going to diminish or increase? Chaos in society, sin is rampant, confusion is everywhere, fear is everybody's soundbite. And all that's happening is the enemy knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords is on his way to us. I don't know if you listen to what's happening in Israel or the Middle East over the weekend, but you'll see that there's wars and rumors of wars, and there's tensions that are growing all over this world because Jesus is nearer than he's ever been. Now, for the Christian, that should be exciting. The God you've loved, the God you serve, the God you delight in is coming in glory, and he will judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. It will go on and on and on forever, ever, ever. Just like a pastor's sermon. <laughs> and I need to be ready, and you need to be ready. We need to know how to stand in these days and take authority over the demonic strongholds and influences that are affecting our world, and indeed, quite often, affecting our lives. It's not a time to be asleep. It's a time to be wide awake, because what God is doing on the earth, you are part of. You were born for such a time as this. And you have an authority. And you know the victory of Jesus Christ. And you have a destiny. And you won't get to your destiny without using your authority. Your authority has been given to you by God so that you can accomplish the great things. On Thursday night, we were praying together. And we arrived at this point, And it's a point I wanted to say to you this morning. We've heard of your great and marvelous deeds, O oh God. Renew them in this hour. I want to see miracles. Don't you? 
I want to see blind eyes open. I want to see broken people healed. I want to see the dead raised to life. You know, I know people think I'm a nutter, and maybe I am, but one of my greatest dreams, this is a dream I have in Jesus, is that when I go to visit people in the hospital, in whatever ward I'm in, that whole wall gets healed in the name of Jesus. I know it's a crazy dream. I could have worse ones. I could have wanted a Ferrari. I figured there's more chance of Jesus healing the sick than me getting a Ferrari. <laughs> Irish, I am stupid. I am not. Okay, but I'd love, I'd love that. In fact, I've seen evidences of that. I went to visit my sister a few weeks ago. She was in hospital. She had a heart problem, and she was there. We're chatting, and the lady across the way started engaging with us, and the other lady who was a Muslim started engaging with us. And I don't know why, but I brought crisps and sandwiches. Do you know food is the most incredible evangelistic tool on the planet? This lady said to me, I can't stand the food in here. I said, oh, I, I wouldn't know. I've never been in hospital. Have a sandwich. Oh, a sandwich. You think I was given a, you know, pizza or something. You think it was like KFC or... Oh, no, it's gone up market now, isn't it? It's Nando's. It's Nando's now, isn't it? It used to be KFC when I was young. Okay, and we started talking. We started talking about God. And my sister said, can I introduce you to my brother? He's a priest. So I took out my gold smoking handbag and swung it around the room. Not a priest, although it's quite interesting. God is at work in this world. The devil is trying to stop the church of Jesus Christ from becoming everything that she was destined and predestined to become. And sometimes Christians, because they've been through bleak seasons or terrible seasons in their life, are just a little bit of sleep. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. So we're doing this. Also to let you know, all around the world, all the big hitters, all the big international ministries are all talking about prayer. So it's not just something we stumbled into accidentally. I believe this is the sound of a God collectively bringing his church together for the return of Jesus Christ. Because we want to be a bride that's spotless without blemish or wrinkle. We want to be prepared in all that we are and all that he's going to do that's going to come our way. Amen and amen and amen. And I'm excited about that. Can you tell? Your miseries. Can you tell? Can you tell I'm excited about that? And the best possible scripture to help us be ready for all of that comes from this particular passage. If you've got a Bible with you this morning or it's on your phone, please turn to it. We're going to read this together. Ephesians 6, verse 14 to 18, it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. What did I tell you? With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I want to tell you this morning that you have an enemy, but God has not left you naked. He has not left you vulnerable. You have a spiritual armory that can destroy even the worst demonic attacks that can come your way. Someone say amen to that. God has covered you with realities, spiritual realities that actually give you the ability and the power to counterattack and defeat any scheme that the enemy may seek to use against you. You are not the tail, you are the head. And God is raising up a people who understand that truth. You know, this is not the first time that the Apostle Paul talks in the New Testament about spiritual warfare. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, it's almost like this is his birthing of this concept in his mind. He says this, but let us who are of the day be sober. In other words, be serious about such matters. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for the hope of our salvation. Paul starts all of this spiritual warfare language with a statement that I want to camp on just for a moment. Look at the very first sentence. The very first phrase is interesting to me because it's, it's a phrase that in many ways 
sets us up for everything that's about to be spoken about. And he doesn't start lacking in any form of confidence about the reality of how we as Christians are meant to live our lives. He says this, stand firm then. In other words, be like a Roman soldier with your head held high and your shoulders back. Be confident that the God who is all-knowing and all-seeing and all-powerful is in you and working through you. Do not come to this overwhelmed, beaten down. Come as a mighty man or woman of God and stand. The posture of finished, completed reality is this for us, church. Jesus has already won every victory. Every victory. Now, you should have been on your feet at that point. And all we have to do as Christians is stand confidently in the power of the blood and the victory that Jesus has accomplished for us. We do not go to warfare with a sense of insignificance. We do not come to warfare with a preoccupation about our weakness. We come to all spiritual warfare with this clarity. Jesus finished everything that's necessary for me to live in victory. I stand I stand in the reality of the completed work of the cross. Someone say amen, for goodness sake. With my shoulders back and my head held high, not for pride, but from confidence that God is who he says he is, and he's done and accomplished what he promised he would do. You and I already are living in the victory of Jesus Christ. You are more than a conqueror already. I know some days it doesn't feel like that because Jesus has conquered sin and death and he rose victoriously on the third day and he smashed the head of your enemy. Smashed him. He obliterated the power of Satan. So we don't come at each day with an apologetic approach to spiritual warfare. We don't come to these moments with a preoccupation with our lack. One of the greatest enemies I think that we have in our lives is ourselves. We always feel insignificant or unable or insufficient. But you know, your weakness is an opportunity to live in worship. Your insufficiency is an opportunity to become God-dependency. These are not things that you should be worried about. You know, for many times I've prayed for people and I've been so aware of my own sin or so aware of my own lack. But actually, I don't heal anyone. This is not about me. It's about Jesus, the one who won the victory over sin and death. And when I lay hands on a sick person, I don't need to become introspective about what I'm not. I need to lift my voice and declare all that he is. So do you wake up every day with your shoulders back and your head held high? Because that's what the Apostle Paul is inviting us to do. And he would have had lots of examples. He's painting a picture of the kind of soldier who is proud to represent their nation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will become the kind of people that are proud, not in ourselves, but in the reality of your presence and your power, and confident in representing our God. Look at what he asks us to do. After we stand, we're to put on the full armor of God. I think if I'm honest with you, most Christians have a partial understanding of this particular process. And of course, we're not talking about going to the wardrobe and taking something out and putting it on. The vast majority of everything we're going to talk about is in the spiritual realm. It's not in the natural realm. And so we need to understand that what Paul's inviting us to is to get dressed for war. In other words, we're dressed to kill. And we're dressed to kill what the enemy seeks to infiltrate and do. This is not just a battle for our own lives, it's a battle for the world in which we're living. And the first thing that Paul asks us to do is to put upon ourselves the lion's belt, and that's the original term, the lion's belt of truth. In other words, he uses these words, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist, the AV version says, and stand therefore having your loins girded with truth. And the lion's belt in the Roman armory looked a little like this. It wasn't the thing that most people would be drawn to when they saw a Roman soldier. In fact, the piece of equipment, the lion's belt, is hidden. You can't really see its value or its worth. But I want to tell you this. 
that every other part of the armor that a Roman soldier wore was dependent on the lion's belt. The lion's belt was the thing that held everything together. So the shield of faith rested on the lion's belt. The sword that represents the power of the Holy Spirit was placed inside the lion's belt. The breastplate of righteousness rested on top of the lion's belt. Now, by all intents and purposes, if you were looking for this particular piece of clothing on a Roman soldier, you would not be drawn to it immediately because most of it is hidden. And what we've got here is the external part of it. In fact, it's almost the most unimpressive part of this particular armory. But the belt holds everything together. And when Paul is speaking about the lion's belt of truth, he's talking about this. Gird the center of your life in the word of God. Gird all of who you are, everything that matters, everything that's significant. Let it be conditioned and cultivated as a result of the truth of God's abiding word. Now, church, help me for a moment. I think we could probably say that many of us in this room, when it comes to the word of God girding our loins, we are insufficiently using it to do so. Most Christians these days read their Bible for about 10 minutes a day, and I'm talking about highly devoted ones. Your Bible app is an insufficient Bible study tool to let you gird your loins with truth. Because what happens is you look at it in the same manner as you look at every other app, and you walk away from it without abiding in it, without allowing it to marinate, without allowing it to impact your life. And if you want to win this war with Jesus and for this Jesus, you need to gird the center of your life with the word of God. You see, when God's word lives and dwells richly in me, I make the right choices. When God's word is profoundly marinated in my soul, I marry the right person. When God's word is fundamentally the center of all that I am, I make the right choices. I say the right things. I act in the right way. Because his word has the power to make me like Jesus. Amen? Amen. The psalmist David uses this phrase, I have hidden your word in the depths of who I am. And here's why that I might not fall into the temptation of sinning against you. You see, if you want to know why your life is all over the place, it's probably because you haven't girded your loins with the Word of God. You may go to the Word of God in an emergency, but you have not marinated your soul consistently in truth. And when your soul is not marinated in truth, you will make all kinds of decisions that feel good in the moment, but they're not according to the Word of God. Some of the difficulties you have with mental illness are because the Word of God is not living and breathing inside of you. Other things have infiltrated. Other things have affected you. And you've gone down those rabbit warrens of following trains of thought that are contrary to the Word of God. Here's what the Word of God says. This is what we need in the depth of us. My God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind... It stayed on him. You see, I can't enter into battle with the enemy when I am not living in the victory that the word of God produces. Now, I'm not trying to condemn anyone, but a TikTok conversation, a podcast, all of those things, they're insufficient to do what the word of God wants to do. And you know what the word of God wants to do? It wants to become a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. The Word of God is the abiding presence and power and truth of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My soul is meant to be infected and marinated and completely overwhelmed and saturated in the Word of God. Now, you've all gone very quiet. But that's what the Word does. The Word has to work in you before the Word can work for you. Not only does the word work in you and work for you, but actually it works on your behalf in regard to the world around you. But is your life, is my life saturated with the word of God? Here's how I know it's not. Because sometimes people treat me like dirt and I react. If God's word is living in me, no weapon fashioned against me will ever prosper. I don't need to react to what people say or do. 
Sometimes people overlook me and prefer somebody else. I know it's hard to believe with these looks, you would think they would have a greater wisdom attached to that. But the reality is, you know, it happens and it happens to us all. When I experience rejection, I am not frightened by people's opinions because the God who loves me and abides in me and values me and sent Jesus to die for me lives and resides inside of me. Do your worst. Say your worst. It's not arrogance, it's truth. So we kind of intellectually know truth, but we don't live in the fullness of all that that truth offers us. And the word has to become flesh. Has to become my present, current, consistent reality. Now you think about that. How many times has the enemy tried to steal from you? And he was only able to steal from you because you didn't know the reality of the word of God. How many times have you find yourself defeated in battle because you didn't know the word of God? You didn't know what God said about that particular situation. Come on, wake up, please. How many times have we left churches because somebody's offended us or said something we didn't like because we didn't know that God established, planted me, rooted me in love? I don't care what people think about me. I know it sounds bizarre. I'm not being arrogant. I spent my life worrying what people thought about me. And then I realized they weren't thinking about me at all. The only person that was thinking about me was me. People say to me, oh, I can't put my hands up in church. I can't express my worship. Everyone's looking at me. No, they're not. I'm sorry to break the news to you. They're not. Here's what happens in most churches I've been in. People are thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. And if it gets to a certain time, they're thinking about their dinner. They're not thinking about you or Jesus or the worship or the pastor. They're just, it's stomach the greater truth of hunger <laughs> supersedes the truth of God's word. I'm sorry I'm pulling my trousers up. It looks terrible, but I'm so thin. I'm so thin. If you don't have the word of God at the center of your life, you are easy pickings for the enemy. If you are not filled to overflowing with the reality of his word you'll be filled to overflowing with your opinions and other people's perspectives for the christian who neglects the word of god it's only a matter of time before they find themselves in a place of condemnation or indeed supplication to some form of addiction in their life you see of all the things that paul invites us to today they're all invisible apart from one thing. And it's the primary, most important thing. And that is the Word of God. The most important thing that you need to gird your loins with today is the truth of what God says about you. If you don't know what the Word says about God, then you will fall for the lies of the enemy. If you don't know what the Word says about you, you will fall for the deceptions of your adversary. If you don't know what the Word of God says about your destiny, you will find hopelessness and despair become your consistent reality. We need the Word of God. And we need that Word to be so established in us and so clear to us, it makes all of the decisions for us. When I know that I know that I know, I don't have to worry about getting it wrong. See, some of us use the Word of God to get a new car. When we should be using the Word of God to get a new heart, just saying. Some of us, I've heard some of you, you pray for parking spaces. Who prays for parking spaces? Lord, get me. I know, here's the prayer. It goes like this. Not the disabled, because that would be sin. Okay? Not the mums and tots, because that's nearly evil, but not quite. But the one right next to it, Jesus. That's the one I want. Who's prayed those prayers? I've prayed those prayers. Do you think the Word of God is interested in the car parking space for you? <laughs> Here's what the Word of God does for you. It gives you a seat at the table of communion with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your salvation is through the Word. Your healing is through the Word. I'm just going to keep going until you wake up. Okay, so wake up quick because you want to go home. Dinner is coming. Okay. Your redemption is through the Word. Your eternal destination is through the Word. 
Without the word, we are easy pickings for the enemy. And Paul says it's fundamental that your undergarments are girded with truth. It's not what people see, but they will determine how you act and respond to the lies and deceptions and adverse conditions of the world around you. And can I just say something because I love you? Please stop talking about your problems. Listen to what pastor's saying. We have become fixated at our problems. Hello? Listen to what your pastor's saying. Listen. I listen very carefully to how things happen. And I am little saddened that the greatest thing that can come out of your mouth is that you have a problem. I'm saddened by that because that tells me that the word has not found its root and its right place inside of your life. Now, do Christians have problems? When, in my opinion, they probably do. I know I've got some. So I imagine you have some too. Do Christians live in their problem, from their problem? Or do Christians have an alternative reality, which is the promise of God? Talk to me. Come on. So... The first thing you need to say to me is, oh, I'm not depressed. Or I, I mean, some people struggle with depression. I get it. My father did that. But the reality is, as a Christian, as a Christian, you have a promise for every problem that you have in your life. Otherwise, this doesn't make sense. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And you can't overcome, church, unless you overcome. We all want to be more than a conqueror, but not conquer anything. It's like butter. When it gets hot in life, it just melts. So, when I listen to this environment we're living in, people are preoccupied with their problems. How is that working for you? And here's the problem. So as a man or a woman thinks they are. See, what we should be preoccupied with is the promise of God's word. His report says, I am healed. I got the diagnosis the other day, but his report says, I am healed. His report says, I am free. Oh, I don't feel free. (laughs) I feel bound in some areas of my life, but his report says, I am free. His report says, I am forgiven. Oh, I feel such a worm sometimes. I'm such a nasty person. I pray against people finding car parking spaces. That's how nasty. That's how nasty I can be. But his report says, I am forgiven. I've lived in a world full of rejection and abandonment. But his report says, I am accepted in the beloved. His report says, when I blow it, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. His report is the only report. But if I'm living with a compromised understanding of the Word of God, a deficient understanding of the Word of God, then I will live in my problems because my problems are all I have. But I am a Christian. I belong to the Most High God. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. I've noticed even the worst day of my life becomes the greatest opportunity for God to restore, renew, and educate and fill me with His Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, just thought I'd say. The second thing Paul highlights for us is the breastplate of righteousness. And he uses this term as a weapon. And this is an example of what that breastplate would have looked like. It would be really fancy, this breastplate. It would have had all kinds of ornate uh, carvings in it. They would have added some things to it. But one of the things I found when I was researching is that although the breastplate was naturally very shiny, it became shinier when it was used. Okay, so these particular pieces weren't all just formed like this. Sometimes they moved and interacted. And in the interactions of fighting the battles that the soldiers fought, their armor would become so, so shiny, almost mirror-like, that whenever the enemy came over the horizon, are you listening to me, church? All they could see was this light. And they were blinded by the righteousness The breastplate of righteousness. And Paul is saying, 
If you work with the righteousness that Jesus has imparted to you, you will become impenetrable by the enemy. Your experiences of that righteousness will cause you to live in victory because the enemy cannot see you. He is blinded by the righteousness of Christ that's been placed upon you. And today, I want to tell you, church, today, and I'm going to preach now, you have a righteousness that could never be bought or earned by church attendance or giving or tithing or praying. You have a righteousness that Jesus Christ himself has imparted to you for free. And when the enemy looks on you, when that righteousness is known and experienced and worked, he cannot come for you because he cannot see you. Now, if I don't have that sense of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, I will believe the lies of the enemy. Listen to me. That righteousness says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And notice where the breastplate goes over the heart. One of the greatest ways in which the enemy wants to destroy the authority of the church is to make us feel compromised in our heart. I want to tell you that Jesus' righteousness is more than sufficient for your future. It has a power and authority. You need to allow it to infiltrate and overwhelm all that you are as a person. God has given you the righteous heart of Jesus Christ. And that heart is working its work in you and it's working its work through you. You may not feel righteous today, but I'm telling you, what Jesus has done in you will make you righteous. You just have to come into partnership and allow him to do what he promised he will do. Well, I think this is good preaching. Too many Christians live with condemnation. The story we heard this morning of a lady who'd been married multiple times, she said she a friend of ours said that she felt like the woman at the well and she was going along to this ladies conference and somebody asked her if she'd be on the prayer ministry team but because she'd been married a number of times and has made some choices like we all do that perhaps she didn't feel comfortable with she disqualified herself from ministry the lady that invited her to minister said this to her well come and be my catcher you don't have to pray for people just and right in the moment typically as christians do they don't always tell you the truth this woman stood aside and said to this lady, why don't you pray for these people? The first person she prays for, the woman starts to talk to her how she's worried about the fact that her sons, this woman had four sons, she's worried about not the fact that none of her sons walk with Jesus. Guess what was the reality of the woman who thought she was unrighteous and unable to pray? She had four sons that do not walk with Jesus. The power of God came upon this broken woman and God used her mightily to bring healing and restoration to another human heart that was living in deception because they didn't realize that Jesus' righteousness was all sufficient and it wasn't their righteousness that qualified them at all. Another lady comes to her and says, will you pray for me? And she reaches her hand out to pray for this lady and once again the spirit comes like a pent up flood and touches this woman and guess what? This woman has been married four times. And she says to the lady praying for who had also been married four times, I feel so condemned. I feel so unworthy. I feel I'll never be free from all of the bad decisions I've made. And the woman standing before her said, who the son says free will be free indeed. And I thought exactly the same thing all of 10 minutes ago. But by the power and the grace of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I will pray for you. And God worked a miracle for her. Yeah. You and I have a breastplate of righteousness. And in the battles of life, it's being made shiny so that when the enemy comes in, he's blinded by the awesome reality that we are forgiven, accepted, loved, and God has in his great kindness deposited upon us his righteousness. Should we keep going? Are you okay till one? You won't lose your salvation, leave Jesus, fall out with the pastor? Okay. The next thing he talks about is shoes of faith. And a Roman soldier had a shoe that was made up of two parts. The shin was covered in brass, once again carved. And the reason why they covered the shins is often in battle, when other warriors came from different tribes, they would try and cut the legs of soldiers because they want to take the feet 
from under them. So they wore these kind of metal guards around their shin area. But on their feet, they wore sandals. And uh, if you take a little look at this particular picture, this is a, a, a representation of the kind of sandal that, that a Roman soldier would have worn. Now you can see on the bottom of it, it's got studs. I don't know if anyone plays golf here or football, but sometimes when you're trying to get traction and run, you have some shoes, I think I've never done it, that have studs on the bottom. But listen to me what used to happen with the Roman sandals, the Roman soldier sandals. Those spikes would be up to three inches long. And they, they were three inches long so that when an adversary came to them, they'd be able to deal in, in, with them to the best of their capacity. And also they would run far quicker with that kind of amount of traction on the earth that's under them. Remember, we're talking hot desert climates where there's all kinds of things that make running and movement very, very difficult. So Paul, after telling us about the breastplate of righteousness, now points to something that he thinks essential for the Christian to understand in warfare. And that is that you and I have feet that have been bound by the peace of God. Shod in peace is the word that's used here. It means to bind something tightly onto the bottom of your feet, to firmly tie a piece, the peace of God around our lives so that we are living in the reality of the consistent presence of God. And, and peace, I want to tell you, is not a feeling. For years, I used to think peace was a feeling. And sometimes I've met people and they've gone through really difficult times and they say things like this, I don't know why, but I don't feel troubled by that or I don't feel anxious about that. And maybe they've mistakenly thought that to be peace. I know people who's lost, you know, loved ones or, or have, you know, some trauma in their life or, you know, the sickness in the family and they say, it's weird, I should kick off, I should feel angry, but actually I feel okay about it. That's not peace, what that is is grace. And God has specific graces for people in their lives. You know, there are times in your life where things are really hard for you. And there's a grace. There's an ease. It's like an oil. It makes things work that shouldn't work. It makes you feel that things are going to be okay, even if they're very difficult. That's not peace. Now, the Bible says that we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? It means it's illogical to us to live in this reality. So what is the peace of God? The peace of God is the dominion of the presence of God over your life. And when the Apostle Paul is saying, I want your feet to be bound, I want them to be bound in the reality of the dominion and the authority and the glory and the power and the majesty of God. I want who he is to become your abiding current experience. And he's not talking about respite from problems, he's talking about governance. You see, you and I were created to live in the permanent governance and reality of God. And notice that it's your feet. What do you do with your feet? You stand, but you also walk. When Jesus came into your life, he gave you a peace which surpassed all understanding. And that first measure of peace is that you now have peace with God. Jesus has given you peace with God. That means you don't have to be anxious about your sin. That means you don't have to be troubled about your mistakes. Jesus has won for you peace with God. But this is a superior peace even to that. That's the foundational peace. But this is a peace that lives in the consistent, dominant glory, power, and authority of the God who is with you. So here's how you practice peace. His presence. When you're in his presence, you're practicing peace. You're allowing his reality to become your reality. When you're in his presence and you're rejoicing and you're celebrating and you're loving on him and you're being loved by him, you are being conditioned by a superior reality, which is the kingdom of God. And every other reality is inferior to that kingdom. So peace is not a feeling. It's a current manifestation of the God who has authority over all things. And here's when you know that you're walking in supernatural peace. You're not troubled. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you raise up your standard. Oh, I'm hidden in Christ Jesus. I am. When, when you are walking in peace, it doesn't matter what happens around you. Because what's happening in you is far superior and greater than anything that can happen around you. And the Apostle Paul is referring to that when he says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
So I sometimes am wanting to find external peace. I'm wanting to find a comfortable environment. I wanted to find a place where things feel okay. And I think we're all highly sensory people, so we like to be in environments that feel that they're safe. But you see, you can't be safe in this world. Hear me, please. But you can be safe in your heart. You can be safe in here. You can have the abiding sense of the goodness, the power, the glory, the dominion, and the authority of God living in here. A friend of mine is an intercessor, a prophetic intercessor, and one time he was out, I think, ministering in Malaysia or one of those countries, and he comes out on the street in the, in the gap between the two sessions, and he sees this demonic person standing at the end of the, the lane, and he just turns around and he goes back into the session. Well, this man was incensed. He said, how dare you ignore me? I, I represent, you know, legions. He said, well, I've met people like you before. He said, I've got no interest in engaging with you. No, you must, he said. I can see that Jesus is in you and you have an authority, but the authority I have is multiple. And, and he just, this guy looked, the pastor looked at him, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, go. And before his eyes, that man, like a powder, vanished in the presence of God. Church today. You're looking for peace out here. You're looking for peace in your workplace. You're looking for peace in your family. You're looking for peace in your community. There is one place where the Prince of Peace rules and reigns, and that's in your heart and in your life. And when Apostle, Apostle Paul says, get your feet bound up, stand in the reality of the peace that Jesus offers you. Stand in the authority of the peace that Jesus offers you. Stand in the permanence of the peace that Jesus offers you. Do not be tossed from left to right by all kinds of situations. That peace is a peace that comes internally before it happens to manifest externally. Shield of faith. This is what it looked like. So when we see pictures of Roman soldiers, we see these little silver discs on their arm, and they were for parades. But actually, when you went to war, a Roman soldier would have this big, long shield, and it was made from leather. And, and this shield was created for the exact height of the soldier. So every part of you okay, would be covered by the shield. And when Paul is referring to this, he's talking about the gift of faith that has been given to the body of Christ as a result of what Jesus has done. In other words, your faith in Christ is more than enough. It covers you entirely. It covers you entirely. It's more than enough. Okay, you're getting tired now. Keep going. We've got five or ten minutes more. It covers you. It's more than sufficient. It's perfect for your height. It's perfect for your stature. But you know, Roman soldiers, they used to do something with their shields. Because if they didn't take care of their shields, then those shields would become brittle. Leather always becomes brittle over time. And it certainly becomes brittle when you're outside in the heat. So here are two things that a Roman soldier would do to his shield. At nighttime, whenever the soldier camp was sleeping, he would lower his shield down into the stream or into the water. And of course, that would make it heavier because whenever you put leather in water, it becomes heavier. But also, it meant that when the fiery darts of the enemy came, they could not penetrate. It's very difficult for fire and water to mix. When I thought about that, I realized that what God was trying to teach us here is that we need to take our faith regularly to the washing of his word. Our faith needs to be washed in his word. It needs to be saturated in his word. It needs to be sodden with his word. Okay, and his word and the infiltration of the faith in our lives, the shield of faith, will mean that the fiery darts of the enemy will not be able to penetrate. The other thing that they did was this. When they sat out in the heat of the day in between the battles, they would take out a vial of oil and they'd pour it all over their shield. And they would rub with cloths or ripped garments, whatever they were, the oil into the shield. And God began to speak to me that unless our faith is not washed in the word and is not oiled by the spirit, it will become brittle. And it will become insufficient to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, we started our conversation off today about asking God to touch us. 
I think for a Christian, every day is a day of opportunity. God, come and touch us with the oil of your presence. Lord, come and wash us with your word. Lord, let our faith, let the shield of faith, which is exactly the right height for us, not be penetrable by the enemy. The helmet of salvation was the most spectacular of all of Paul's things. Now, this helmet would be worn by people who were in battle, and actually, it was very, very dramatic. These helmets would be so ornate, sometimes three, maybe four feet high, depending on how important the soldier was. And Paul is saying to us, let your mind be covered, covered by the word of God. You see, if I was to think of you from a heavenly perspective, say I had the power and authority to see what was clean or unclean, which I don't, you can thank God for that, I would be able to look down from the heavens and say, that one is covered by the salvation of Jesus, that one is not covered by the salvation of Jesus. You see, whenever the enemy comes looking for you, the first place he wants to infiltrate is your mind. And you have a helmet of salvation. If you're a born-again believer here today, Jesus has crowned you with his glory. Jesus has covered your mind with his authority. You have a helmet of salvation. And when the enemy comes at you, if you're not living with that helmet on, you are easy pickings. Because the reason these guys wore these helmets was because the, the, their adversaries would come with hammers and hatchets and try to strike them in the head. The enemy will come to you with a hatchet or a hammer and try and strike you in the head. We do not have an adversary that is better or greater than the God of our salvation. Your mind has been and is being renewed by the word of God through the power of salvation. He is restoring you. <sighs> what is the sword of the spirit? Well, I believe it's the rhema word of God. You know, we have the abiding reality of the word of God, the present reality of God's word. It, it comes and it's truth and it educates and it restores and it renews our minds. But when you're in war, when you're in battle, and the enemy is bombarding you from all kinds of directions, you need a rhema word from God. You need God to speak to that circumstance. And I don't know about you if you've ever had rhema, but rhema changes people's lives. You see, you can be in the worst situation the doctors can tell you all kinds of things. And God speaks and says, this will not end in death. Rejoice, for I am with you. You have a rhema word from God. And when that word comes, it completely and utterly obliterates the circumstances because they are now subservient to the priority of the rhema word of God. I don't know how many times I visited people. In fact, I visited a lady who's not far from here, and I went to visit her, and she was told she had three months to live. And I walked in to see her, and I'm sitting with her. I don't know her. She's a Catholic lady. And, and God said to me, tell her to stop preparing for her death. She'd been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I mean, I didn't know her well. I wasn't sure it was a good opener. So I sat with her, and I said, you're planning your funeral. And she said, yes. I said, do you want to die? She said, no. Well, if you don't want to die, why are you planning a funeral? And she said, because I need to get things ready for my family. Well, I think you need to make a decision that you're not going to die. And she said to me, what does that mean? I said, I believe God's told me to tell you that this is not going to end the way you think it's going to end. And she started crying and she said to me, I feel like I'm just almost like under a death sentence. Well, I said, you would be if you're planning about, thinking about, talking about, and organizing your funeral. That's not life. Now, am I advocating that you're stupid? Well, some of us do that without the help of the pastor. I'll just leave it there. Okay, but I am suggesting to you, if you want to live, align yourself with living. And if you want to die, align yourself with dying. And whether you live or you die, do it all to the glory of God, okay? Amen. Just make sure that you do it well, whether you're dying or you're living. You know, and I believe sometimes because we don't understand and we don't have a word ourselves from God, a rhema word, we just allow our circumstances to determine our outcomes. And it's not enough anymore. You think the enemy is going to lie quietly and not give some diagnosis to people over these next 20 years? 
Do you think he's going to back off from destroying Christians' lives? Uh-oh. But whose report are you going to believe? Who, who's telling you the truth? And you see, the thing about the devil is he's always been a liar and he can't help himself. He just can't help himself. He's got to lie. He's got to deceive. He's got to put you out. He's got to make it look bigger. I always say to people when it comes to spiritual warfare, don't worry about the devil. He's like a mouse with a megaphone. It's all yap and all the... The one who's got power, that's Jesus Christ. The one who's got authority, that's Jesus Christ. Stand for me, please. I have one minute to pray a blessing on you before your chicken calls your name. <laughs> if it is chicken. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this scripture. I want to thank you for your servant Paul who looked at the most powerful authoritarian, cruel army and took all of the attributes of their armor and speaks to the church at Ephesus about the authority and the dominion and the power of each of those pieces of armor. We want to thank you, Lord, firstly today that you want to gird our loins with the lion's belt of truth. Let truth let the truth of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, let his word be a consistent, permanent reality in our hearts, in our minds, in our decisions, in our actions, in our understanding, Lord. Let your word become flesh in us, Lord. Why don't you pray for that? And now, Father, we thank you for the breastplate of righteousness. We thank you that there's been a righteousness imparted to us that we couldn't earn or gain by human activity or spiritual understanding. It comes simply and utterly by faith from the finished work of Jesus Christ. You have covered our hearts, Lord, with the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we put on the breastplate of righteousness today, not to stand arrogantly, but to stand with humility before you and say, God has been gracious to me. God has been forgiving. God has been kind to me. And I carry the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my heart, in my mind, and in my life. Lord, let that righteousness work its work in me. Let it work its work through me, Lord. And let the righteousness of Jesus Christ blind the enemy from seeing, Lord God, where your people are, Lord. I pray that blindness will come in regard to those adverse circumstances in our lives. And the enemy will not be able to see us. They'll just see the righteousness and the glory and the goodness of God. Father, we stand in the natural today with our feet on this ground if we're standing. And we've all got shoes on. And we know how they protect us from the elements, Lord God. And in many, many ways give us the ability to go further than we could without them. But Lord, I pray our feet today would be shod with the gospel of peace. I pray you would bind our feet with the governance and the reality of the presence and the power and the person of Jesus. Lord, may we live in peace, may we live from peace, and may peace, which is a really offensive weapon to the enemy, tear down every stronghold and vain imagination that seeks to set itself up against the purposes of God. You know your peace has the power to change the... the, the um, demonstration of principalities and powers. As you live in peace, live from peace, live in the governance and, and walk in the governance of Christ, every enemy against the King of kings and Lord of lords will have to flee. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The sword of the Spirit, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the rhema words. You've promised us things here today. And while we have not maybe seen them with our natural eyes just yet, Lord God, when the battle rages, we need you to speak, God. Give us the capacity to hear you more clearly, Lord. We want to operate in the authority that comes from your rhema word that says, no, 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 this is what so-and-so says, but my God has spoken. And when his word comes, it will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. And Father, finally, we put on the helmet of salvation afresh this morning. 
The enemy wants to build strongholds in our minds of fear, anxiety, concern, worry, guilt, shame, all of those things, Lord God. But we thank you, Lord, that you have said we can have the mind of Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that you desire to renew our mind by the reading and, and the working of your word in our lives. And Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name that we can be in the spirit at all times. Paul finishes this whole dialogue with saying, pray in the spirit at all times. I pray you teach us how to do that, Lord Jesus not just the occasional visiting to the realms of the spiritual world, but, Father, living consistently in it and from it. Now, Lord, bless us. May we become the best warriors we can be, Lord, in the days that lie ahead. May you raise an army for yourself, Lord, that takes territory in the name of Jesus Christ. May every stronghold and adversity that comes against us melt like wax in your presence, Jesus. And, Father, may fire, fire for the war, the battle, Lord. Let it rage in our hearts, Lord God, for we have become passive and indifferent to things that we are meant to war against. And, Father, give us a righteousness and an insightfulness that can only come from your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.